0: Hello, everyone. Thank you guys so much for coming. This has been a a week for me. I have been really, more than any other retreat that I have done, I have really wrestled with what um, I feel I have for you guys today. And I think the wrestle was so strong because it was so personal that it was what I needed to deliver to you guys, but it's what needed to be delivered to me. So, we'll see how this all works. (laughs) Hopefully I can keep my composure as I do this because uh, it has been a lot. And uh, I'm gonna try not to be all over the place, but I feel like I'm a little all over the place. Hopefully it all comes together nice and concisely. But the thing that since the last retreat I have been kind of dealing with is the new birth and this thing, the new creation. We often say, you know, we're new and, you know, once we get saved then we just became new and all of a sudden we just have this newness. So we claim the newness, yet where's the evidence of the newness? So that's what I started to look into and started to research just to see that I I can get my hand on what this is all supposed to be about. Because really how do you become new, new in the essence of, the old stuff is completely gone and you're like new. Not just getting rid of behaviors, but your mind is new, your heart is new, your vision and your hearing is new. How does that occur with, uh, and excuse my speculation, but how does that occur with one dip in the water and I receive the spirit and then I'm going on, doing my best efforts to live what I think God wants me to do But how do I get new? Because is brand new even possible? Like never tarnished. Is that possible to get brand new? Without any of the old, just new? And I know we quote the scriptures, and I know we all claim it. None of us would say I'm not new. But the reality is that many of us are still in the womb. We're still awaiting birth. When God gave us his spirit, he implanted us with the power to become new. In essence, he impregnated us with our true self. Our true self that is hid in Christ. Now we must decide, do we want to do what it takes to birth ourselves? Or will we have still No one can stay pregnant for forever. Pregnancy has to be a process. You must have a seed planted in you and it must be nurtured and properly fed to grow to maturity. The beauty is that Jesus provided us with all we need. He has given us the spirit, which is the seed, the water, which is baptism, the nutrients, which is the word of God, and the environment, which is actually the body of Christ. It is our choice to choose what kind of birth we will have. But we all must be birthed. We don't have a choice in that. You must choose will you be full term, premature, or stillborn. But it's your choice. And we don't know when our birthing is going to happen. So let's look at Romans 8. 22 through 25. And I'm reading this from the Messenger Bible, so the verbiage may sound a little different. It says, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. But it is not only around us, it is within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. See, we thought that waiting was a negative. But if you look at it with God's eyes, he is preparing us for birth. We are growing in love and in maturity. When you are pregnant, you become more excited as your belly grows it becomes more real to you. You then have that anticipation because then you eagerly want to hold it, kiss it, love it, see it. See what this life is gonna live. What is its personality gonna be? How is it gonna impress this world? The same is with us. God's spirit is in us growing and we are supposed to be getting excited that the pains are about to birth a new creature that will be able to hold and kiss and see with our natural eyes. The baby will be us. The waiting is not the problem. It is what you do in the waiting that change your birth outcome. And I know this sounds a little far-fetched because this is not like what we think of of the birth process. Romans 8, 26 through 28, we're gonna go on. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside us. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us. So he is in us praying, and he's up there praying for us before his Father. Making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. We know he, excuse me, knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. He is up there making petitions for us on our behalf in front of God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Now that's the scripture that people always quote to people whenever they have an ill. We throw it around like it's supposed to be a Band-Aid. This is the thing that's going to make us all shine and be okay. But we're missing many, many details in this. Often we use it out of context. I'm reading in the King James Version. It says, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. In the Living Bible translation. And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting in his plan. If is a big word. It's a huge word because it all working for our good is contingent on if we love God and if We are in his plan. So how do I know I love God? Well, first we must know that God loves me. First, I must embrace how much he loves me. How much? The intensity of it, the extravagance of it, the craziness of it. That is what I must hold on to before I can ever come close to loving him back. Because until I can embrace and be bathed in his love, I can never adequately love him back. He must teach me how to love because I have no idea. The way I love is not the way he loves. So if I don't allow myself to be bathed in his love, to take on the whole entire measure of his love, I shall never be able to love him back. So, God loves God's love for me doesn't change regardless if I act a fool or not. His love is just constant and consistent, never goes up and never goes down. There's nothing I can do to make him love me more. There's nothing I can do that will change his affection for me, it is impossible. When I can grab that, I can begin to walk in love. Now, I'm not suggesting that I can love to the same magnitude of God, but I can love how he loves. That is what he wanted to teach me. When we get to the place that my love for God doesn't decrease or increase, that I just love him constantly and consistently because of who he is, that outside circumstances don't even touch my love for him, I'm not more in love with him because he blesses my soul, or less in love with him because some tragedy comes my way, that I'm just in love with him the same way he's in love with me. That's how we're supposed to love him. Very hard to do because most of our love is based on things. It's based on reciprocity. You must give me good, then I will give you my love. If bad comes my way, if tragedy comes my way, I'm not that apt to just pour love all over you. I want to pull it back. It's the same thing we do with God. The moment we get some trials, some tests, something doesn't quite work out the way we think it should. It's like, uh, I begin the doubt. I begin the worry. I begin to say, and God's not really that real. Maybe not out loud, but in my heart and in my spirit, I'm questioning the whole thing. That means I haven't grown into the love I need to get to to prove to God that I love him the way he loves me. And if I truly believe he loves me and I am in love with him, it would then be impossible for me not to be into his plan. If I'm loving him, he's loving me. I would have to be walking with him in his plan, doing as he wants me to do. I would be in my purpose that he called me for. The reason often we fail to be in our purpose because our foundation is not love. Our foundation is often fear. Our foundation is I don't want to go to hell. So because of that, I'm trying to step so lightly on these eggshells that they don't break because I'm so trying so hard not to go to hell. But then I'm not living in love. That is not the basis of my existence. Therefore, I'm out of his plan because everything he does, everything he ever uh, did before creation was for love. We're out of step. Then we wonder why we're in so much anguish because we're out of step. It's not him, it's really us. If I can fall in love with him, then I can watch him turn all this stuff from my good. If I can find his purpose for me and the plan that I'm supposed to be journeying on, then all of the stuff works out for my good. The scripture doesn't work just us quoting it. Well, I know everything gonna work out for my good. Well, really, what are you doing? It'd be nice if it worked that way, but it doesn't. So once again, love is the foundation. What are you building yourself upon? What is your foundation? It cannot be figure. So we're going to do just a little reading to see what God's plan is. We're going to go to John 17. And all of John 17 is the prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father before he was arrested to be crucified. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to take out some verses from it. Um, Verse 9 through 12 is what we're going to read at first. Again, this is Jesus praying to God on our behalf before he's about to get crucified. My plea is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. And all of them, since they are mine, belong to you and you have given them back to me with everything else of yours, and so they are my glory. Now I'm leaving the world and leaving them behind and coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your own care, all those you have given me, so that they will be united just as we are with none missing. During my time here, I have kept safe within your family. All of these you have given me, I guarded them so that not one perished except the son of hell, as the scriptures foretold. And if you go back to 10, he says, they are my glory. We are his glory? Us are God's glory. We live so underneath what God sees us as. See, this is why we must be birthed again, because I need God's vision. I need to see what He sees, I need to hear what He hears. In the last retreat, I wish I would remember the chapter and verse, but I don't. But the scripture said that I have given you my eyes and my ears, I have given you my heart. It is in you. Yet why don't we see how he sees? And why can't we hear what he hears? And why isn't our heart beating right in step with his when it's in us? But for some of us, it's still just a seed. It has not grown enough to come out and be birthed. That's why we're often in so much pain. Because I haven't let it come out yet. 17 through 24, same chapter. He goes on to say, make them pure and holy through teaching them your words of truth. As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I consecrate myself to meet their need for growth in truth and in holiness. Consecrate means exclusively to a particular purpose. I'm exclusively using my life for the purpose to get you to holiness. Exclusively, that's all I'm gonna do, is get you into truth and get you into holiness. I am not praying for these alone but also for the future believers who will come to me because of the testimony of these my prayer for all of them is that they will be of one heart and mind just as you and i are father that just as you are in me and i am in you so they will be in us and the world will believe you sent me We have to believe that we are one with Christ. That I am literally in him. If you can envision him, put yourself in him. You're not hid behind him. You're not like on the side where somebody can come and hit you. You are literally in him, protected all around you. He has enclosed you. Yet we're so afraid. 22 I have given them the glory you gave me the glorious unity of being one as we are I and them and you and me all being perfected into one so that the world will know you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me That God loves me as much as he loved his son. We would never question the intensity that he had of love that he had for his son. None of us say, oh, he probably just loved Jesus a little bit. We all believe he really, really loved him. To that same magnitude, he loves us. No difference. How he felt about Jesus is what he feels about us. Father, I want them with me, these you've given me, so that they can see my glory. Remember, we are his glory. So we can see ourselves with him. You gave me the glory because you loved me before the world began. Now this is Jesus praying for us. Why do we mistrust his plan? it is because we don't believe. It all goes back to belief. Again, remember what I said the last retreat about the deception of Satan in the garden. Remember the last straw for Satan was to convince Eve that God was not to be trusted. That somehow he had ill will for her and not wanting her to eat of the tree. Once he perverted the motives of God in Eve's mind, she bowed to Satan's plan. If we only grasp the warning and the vengeance of God and not his promises and love, then we do not have a true picture of God. We view him with distorted lenses and we wonder why we are in anguish. As in any relationship, if I don't trust you, if I don't trust your motives, Your every word and your every action is then second-guessed. I am always trying to figure out what you really are trying to do. Even when it looks good, I am on guard because I just know something is gonna be around the corner. This is how we relate to God. We must have something take part in our brain that clicks and says, God is for me that God has no ill intent for my life, that what he said in the word is actually truth. There's no hidden agendas, there's no secret messages. It is just exactly what he said. He wasn't trying to trick us, misinform us, wait till we mess up so he can just push us to hell. That's really not his intent. But as long as we don't trust his motives, as long as I think his plan is going to be a plan of destruction for my life, that somehow he does not have this immense love that he claims he has for me, I will always be looking for the shoe to drop. And this is why we don't have peace in our salvation. This is why we don't live in just lightness because I'm always waiting for some hell to come my way. I'm waiting for, I know I gotta suffer. I know I gotta have anguish, I know I gotta have pain. We don't really believe we could ever get to the place that I just have peace in God. That life just is actually good. That I don't have to struggle and fight and be afraid and be in fear. That I actually could just live the abundant life he promised. But that's so hard for us to grasp. I must become so intimately tied to God, I must know him. Then I won't second guess him. For even when I wanna second guess him, my knowledge of him will outweigh my frailty for the moment. But the problem is I don't know him. I have a belief, I have a concept. I know what people have taught me for years. I know the slogans, the, the clicks, I know the, the cliché. I know that stuff, but I don't know him. I don't know him one-on-one, just me and him, doing our thing the way we do our thing, us conversing the way we converse. Him touching me the way I know I need to be touched. Me touching him back. What is that about that is so one-on-one and personal that I get to do it no matter where I am, no matter who's in the room, no matter what's going on, I have instant access to God. That I can call him at any moment of the day. And I know, not wish, but I know that he's standing right there next to me. That's the kind of knowing we were supposed to walk in. Because if I walked in that, why would I be scared? So let's go to Ephesians one, and this is what Paul prayed. 17 through 19. But I do more than think, I ask, ask the God of our master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning, and knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy and boundless strength. So let's move to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And he says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins, Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God, when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through that will shoot adrenaline in your souls. Study Jesus. Study what he did, how he behaved. What gave him strength when he was weak? What made him keep fighting? Remember, he was human. He was a man. So he dealt with the same struggles we have. He just knew how to do them better. But he was in anguish. Think about when he was in Gethsemane, when he asked his, his disciples to come sit with him. He said he was at... He was in horror and anguish. Can you stay with me? And then he went off and prayed. Now, if you can't let this cut pass, we can go and try to find another way. But if not, I shall stay in your plan. I will do what you ask me to do. But he was in anguish. But remember it was what he saw in the future that kept him going. He had a future trust in in what God's motives were for him. He knew that it was gonna look good at the end. That I could go through this mess, yet it will look good in the end. One version says, for the joy that was set before him He endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, he never doubted God's motive. Instead, he looked down upon and ignored what the world would regard as shame. We are ashamed if we go through stuff. We are ashamed of our stories. We are ashamed of the stuff we have had to endure. But if we could not be ashamed of it, if we could see it with a purpose that he put in my life, I no longer have to be embarrassed. I no longer have to say, oh, God, let me never tell that. Let me keep that a secret. Because remember, we're as sick as our secrets. All our secrets equal to shame. Our shame is what keeps us bound. Our shame is the thing that tells me God can't really forgive me to that extent. So I must hold on to a little bit of the sin and beat myself up with it because he's not that big to forgive me of that much. He knew there was a joy far bigger than the pain of the cross. And we are his joy. We are his glory. Him having an intimate relationship with us was bigger and worth the pain of the cross. That is something you have to take in. That is something you have to live and breathe. It can't be just the cross story. We've heard it so much. We've recited it over and over again. We have it playing in our head, yet we have not grasped the intensity of it. Because if we could grasp the intensity of it, our lives really would be changed. That was a huge thing. That was not supposed to be just the Easter story that we get so comfortable with. It was supposed to be the thing that constantly invigorated me to keep going. When I thought about what he went through for me, just because he wanted me as his child. No other reason. I'm gaining far more than what he's gaining. Yet he thinks that he's gaining more because I am the joy that was set before him as to why he even did it. He was excited that he would get me I was worth the beating. I was worth the separation from his father. Just me. So that we could be forever together in intimacy. Jesus never allowed himself to be separated from God's love. Only when I separate myself from God's love do I begin to walk in fear and doubt. Only when I doubt his plan for me do I step out of his plan for me. And only when I am in his love and in his plan will all the things work together for my good. I am the link to the stuff working for my good. It is not God. It is me walking in his love daily and knowing his plan for my life will all the stuff work out for my good. For I have been blaming God for not seeing goodness, but I was actually the problem. So let's look at Isaiah 40: 27 through 30. It says, why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine Israel, saying, God has lost track of me? He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything, inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to the dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in him, shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint or become tired, which means it is possible for us not to faint or grow weary. It's possible. All we have to do is expect, look for, and hope in Jesus. The Jesus who prayed to God that he wants me with him. The Jesus that says that I am his glory, who asked God to look out for us so that he wouldn't lose one. Now, would the father really deny his son this prayer? I don't have to faint. I don't have to grow weary. And it's like almost, I've been in this all my life, you have been taught that somehow weariness is a part of the process. That getting a little weak from time to time is just what we have to look forward to. But we'll pick ourselves back up. But he says, I won't faint. And I won't become weary if I simply wait for the Lord. That's pretty big. That makes me have a smile on my face. That tells me I can do this thing. That all I have to do is expect and look for and hope in Him. Then I got this thing made because He's doing all the work. So why should I be stumbling? shouldn't be because it's in him change your eyes change your focus of what you're looking at take on his vision get his ears it all looks different so let's go to Isaiah 54 and 17 It says, but no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall show to be in the wrong. This peace, righteousness, security, triumph over opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Those in whom the ideal servant of the Lord is reproduced. This is the righteousness or the vindication which they obtained from me. This is that which I impart to them as their justification, says the Lord. Another version, that's the Amplified I just read. But no weapon that can hurt you has ever been forged. Any accuser who takes you to court will be dismissed as a liar. This is what God's servants can expect. I'll see to it that everything works for their best. God's decree. Stop letting the accuser be truth over God. We are the accuser oftentimes. We always look at everybody else and say, oh, they're accusing me of this and thinking of Satan as the accuser we often take on the accuser role. Because I'm not believing the word of God. So I'm saying this stuff's not true. This not real. You know, we quote it, but I'm talking about what your heart believes, what your life lives. That's what tells you if you really believe the word. So I keep saying, oh, things work for a good, eh? Nah. He's gonna see to it that everything works out for a best. I ain't quite seen that. I'm trying to figure this whole thing out, but it's not being shown to me. No weapon will be forged that hurt me when I've been hurt? Jesus, well, I don't get this thing you're trying to tell me. Everything that exalts itself against God is a lie, and the devil is the father of lies. So are you God's child or Satan's? God has already dismissed it as a lie. We keep making it be truth in our heads. We keep telling ourselves the stuff that's not real. God already said it's a lie. Why can't you accept what I wrote? And I actually said this. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. And oftentimes we read these verses when life looks bad. When things aren't really going well, it's like we take this on to try to make ourselves feel better. We read it like five times to try to convince ourselves of the truth of it. But we're supposed to live in this. It wasn't supposed to be a scripture I go to just when, you know, all hell breaks loose. It was supposed to be my daily life. That he's going to make sure everything works out for the best. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I will make sure you won't be disappointed. God's decree. The key is wanting him more than anything else. The key is wanting him more than church service on Sunday and Wednesday. And the occasional prayer you go to. If you don't want him more than anything else. If you haven't put yourself on a journey to find him. That I'm going to let go of all of what I think I know about God. And I'm going to let him teach me who he is. That I'm abandoning all my thoughts and prejudices and all my stuff that makes me far from him, and I say, I just need you, he's gonna show up. He has to show up. He decreed it, can't lie. The reason why we have not found him is because we have not looked for him. And remember, seeking is not just a, okay, no, you weren't there. How deep will you go? How far will you go out on a limb to find him? How long will you go until you uncover him? When he's silent, will you keep running for him? When you think he's hiding, will you search out every hiding place to find him? Or are you content (sighs) with what you have because you're lazy? Because you don't want to put in that much work. Because it takes work to find him. It takes a breaking down of self to really discover who he is in you. Because he's different in each one of us. I'm not gonna look like you. I'm not gonna act like you. My Holy Ghost looks different than yours. I'm not gonna be a carbon copy of every church person that's walking around claiming they saved. I'm gonna just be me with the Jesus I know I have. And then I'm going to play out my plan, regardless of what you think. But if you don't have that much conviction to say, I know God has called me. I know that this is mine. That he truly saved me. That I am walking in step with him to the best of my ability. And the only time I get off is when I stop expecting him to do what he said he would do. And I stop looking for him and stop hoping in him. That's when I fall off. But what he's given me and what he's put in me is there for eternity. I have to tap into that. I have to be willing to let go of my sins. And I'm not talking about just the behavioral sins. Those are, eh, we can let them go when we want to. I'm talking about the deep stuff. The transformation of the heart. The changing everything that I thought made me me. In becoming who he actually created me to be. That I was supposed to one day wake up and be nothing of who I used to be. I was supposed to just be this new Jesus person. But just gonna use what he gave me. My personality, my look, my intellect. He was going to use that, I just have to take his on, and then he's going to bleed it through me. Because he's multifaceted. If we all look the same, then I'm saying Jesus is awful small. He's not really that small. But you walk in the church, and everybody look the same. Everybody prays the same. Everybody acts the same. Everybody, Holy Ghost, does the exact same thing. Everybody's hands go up the same time hit the knee at the same time shout the hallelujah at the same time get the beat going everybody run at the same time where's the uniqueness of God where does he show his face through each and every one of us be you let him birth you into who he wanted you to be Isaiah 55 and 1 Again, he says, "Wait, and listen. Wait and listen. We move too fast. We want God to move when we want him to move. We want Him to do. God didn't pray. I even cried and snorted. I fell out. Make it happen. I did my part. when are you going to do yours? He says, "Wait and listen. Shut up, sit still. Because y'all talking too much. I can't even tell you, you can't hear me because you're running your mouth. Stop for just a moment and let me do my thing. Everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat yes come by priceless spiritual wine and milk without money and without price simply for the self surrender that accepts the blessing will you self surrender to accept the blessing that god has for you will you lay you down to get god's blessing It's already paid for. All you have to do is lay down. It's right there. But we wanna hold on to our stuff and not let it go. Surrender your thinking and accept the truth of the scriptures. Will you take this on and make it be more profound in what you think? Will you let your mind be transformed into what the scriptures say? Or are you so smart? Revelations 22 and 17. It says, The Holy Spirit. And the bride, the church, the true Christians, say come. And let him who is listening say come. And let everyone come who is thirsty, who is painfully conscious of his need of those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. And whoever earnestly desires to do it, Let him come, take, appropriate, and drink the water of life without cost. We don't have to pay. We think we have to pay with our pain and suffering. We think that's the access to God. If I suffer, then somehow God's going to see this. If I'm in pain, somehow he's gonna say, Okay, you've done enough. Here's the blessing. All he wants you to do is surrender. Cause I got it all taken care of anyway. I'm already guaranteed that I'm gonna make it do be for your best. I already said it. I already said you can't be harmed. So I need to go back and look at my stuff and see how can this be for my good? And maybe it hasn't worked out for your good yet because you haven't quite fallen in love with him yet. And maybe he can't show you the revelation of his heart because you don't want to get in step with his plan. You want it on your terms, not his. So will you surrender to get the blessing? Will you abandon it all to get the blessing? Do you think God has a blessing for you? Do you think that it's better than what you think you can give yourself? Because we think we're pretty smart. We did not figured a lot of stuff out. We've made our lives work thus far to the best of our ability. Do I really want to give it up to this abstract being that says he can work it all out for me? That says he's so in love with me and he'll never leave me nor forsake me? But until you get to the point where you will abandon it all, You're never going to see the goodness. Will you press in and allow God to birth you until this new creation he has implanted in you? Will you fight through the labor pains to gain victory? Will you surrender your all and drink the water of life? You are pregnant with your destiny. You must cry and scream and push to deliver yourself. Don't let you die because you're too lazy or too scared to push. You can be delivered. It doesn't have to take long. You can be delivered today if you're willing to go through the pains of delivery. If you're willing to absolutely self-surrender to God he can deliver you today, but it is your choice. You gotta fight for it. You gotta be willing to kill everything else and let him be louder than anything else. And I am, ugh, I guess I'm supposed to share this. Ah. Okay, I hope everyone takes this well. Um, And it's not self-serving at all, okay? You guys that know me know I'm far from self-serving. But uh, a few weeks ago, I was leaving class and I was praying in my car. And uh, I gotta try to keep myself together to do this. I asked God to open my eyes To all that I have wanted to see, that I have not wanted to see, and to open my ears that all I have not wanted to hear because of fear and lack of trust. I said, You put your eyes and heart in me, and you want to reveal your revelations from your heart, and I want them. I began to speak in tongues, but it was in a way that I've never done it before. It was extremely forceful, like crazy. I can't even describe it, right? And I'm driving through all of this and crying my heart out. And um, after I finished and I quieted down and I was just driving, because I lived like over an hour from where I was, um, he then said, you have new vision and hearing. He said, you have submitted to me and I am pleased. Now breathe. I have removed your calls, your mass, you can breathe. And from the last retreat, my husband broke down what a call was, is is a mass over a baby when they're birthed, and not until they can remove it can the baby begin to breathe, otherwise the baby would die. So he says, breathe. And I was messed up at the last retreat. I mean, I've been messed up since it. Um, crying, screaming, I mean, I've just been a mess. And he says, the reason why you cried so hard and so loudly was because you were being birthed and your husband helped to birth you. You will have abundant life. Back in December 2003, I had had a miscarriage and I was at communion and I was praying And he spoke to me and he said, I will give you life. I will give you abundant life. Now, automatically just thought he was gonna give me a new baby. Obviously, I don't have a new one. Um, But he says, I birthed you. Now, two months before this, I was praying. And I just, it was like I told my husband, I said, I'm pregnant. I know I'm pregnant, somehow. And I was up all night. I was like, am I pregnant? He said, yes. And I said, will it be abundant life? He said, it will. And we did that, because I can stay up talking for a long time. We did that over and over and over. You are, it will. You are, it will. Needless to say, I was not pregnant with what I thought. I was pregnant with myself. And he says, this is why I'm telling you this. This is for everyone. A new birth. This is why you have new ears and new eyes. And I said I was going to name, if I had another baby, I was going to name it Noah. And he says, this is your new name. You will be a comfort to my people. Yet, because I just got to give you all my business. Sunday, after this, I was high. I was like, oh, I got this now. we rewriting. We, we got revelation. We're going to see. We got this figured out. But Sunday, I was battling again with the fear and the lack of trust. Because see, this is my sin, fear, the very thing that could take me to hell, which I've got to conquer. I allow my old man to resurrect again to try to attack myself. The devil did not want me to get this, to realize that all the mess that I kept putting myself through was just an illusion. It's not even real. God's word is real. My foundation is in the word. My foundation is in the fact that he loves me. My foundation is that he is teaching me him more and more and I am drinking because I am thirsty. Then Thursday, I wrestled again. And this was like huge. Like not, I just slept well last night. Um, Head aching, I mean like pains just right here a constant pain that just kept coming. Kept coming. I am saying, Lord, what is this? Immediately the fear came back, because what is it? What could it be? He revealed I need to surrender my thoughts. He wants me to have his heart and intellect. My thoughts are the things that get in the way. My thoughts are my security. It is my safety in processing this world. And he wants me to give that up. I have lived my life very much so in my head. I have made sense of everything with my intellect, with my reasoning, with my ability to navigate. He tells me I have to give that up. I'm laying there Friday, and I said, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to suspend my reasoning and take on yours, because what is that? Give up what secures me to this ground. I can get through mostly almost anything if I can think it out. That has been my survival tactic. It is now becoming my sin. Because it is the thing that is separating me from my God. He says, I want to give you peace beyond your understanding. But the fear is if I don't understand, how do I survive? He says, you're surviving me. When you can trust my plans, you don't have to understand them. You just live in assurance that I got you. He said, I gave you my eyes and ears but you need my heart and mind to be whole. Just ask and I will give it to you because I am real. And the crazy thing is, let me tell you, is that never in my life was I a person that talked about Jesus talking to me. And he then told me this, I mean that's just never was, I never could fathom myself. Having this much connection with God. And I laid there afterwards and I said, this is really real. Like, this is not an illusion. Like, I'm really talking to you. You're really here. We really are having conversation dialogue. I can actually feel you in this place. That I'm not not making this up anymore. This is mine. So why would I not give up my stuff to take on what he has to give me? Will I battle? I'm pretty sure it may be a little bit of a struggle. But in the end, I know it's going to be amazing. Because I have seen things differently than I've ever seen things in my life since then. I hear things differently than I've ever heard them. So how amazing will my life be if I have his intellect? If I have his heart beating in me? Ah, I gotta go for that. As much as I don't wanna, I mean really, be honest. As much as I don't really wanna just surrender it all, I got to, I gotta see what that's gonna be. And I'm really truly my aim in all this that I do, that we do, is that I really want people to have that kind of connection with God. I think we have long enough lived on the outskirts of really what God has to offer us. Long enough we've wasted time. Fooling around, being content with coming to church and walking away the same person. Nothing changed, nothing new. When will you say, I got to have the more more? Because he says, if you go after me, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give you my best. My last scripture, and I am finished. Romans 10, 16 and 17. It says, but not everybody is ready for this. Ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asked, what we all ask at one time or another. Does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there is nothing to listen to. This is the word. This is the truth it is the entire 66 books that is truth. If you are not hearing it all, if you're not constantly getting a new direction and a new understanding and a new perspective, then you're missing him. If no one else is preaching it, preach it to yourself. Open it up. Find something new that you never explored before. This is how you begin to trust. I can promise you he will reveal himself to you. If you sit down and open it up and say, God, I need to know you, he will give you what you need. You won't have to ask anybody, is this true? Is this real? It will just be yours and I don't need you to confirm it, I don't need you to say, yeah, I feel the same way, it doesn't really matter because I know I got it from God. And I get to get different stuff. And you could read a verse and get something very different. That don't mean yours ain't true because I didn't get it. It's yours. Go get yours. Allow God to birth you into something phenomenal. Phenomenal. Better than we could ever imagine phenomenal. Because remember, there's no ifs in God. Back in Mark, when the boy had the demons and the, the father came up to him, and he says, if you can, can you deliver him? And he said, if? this is Jesus speaking, no if. And we sit here and say to God, well, if you want, well, if you, if. We're talking to Jesus. We don't have to say if, well, if you could be so. No. You said it. I need you to do it. The reason why it doesn't get done is because I don't believe it. You can read all day. You can quote all the time in your prayer. People think if you add a little couple of scriptures to the prayer it makes it more effective. If you don't believe it, it's not effective. Until you have a heart connection to say this is truth for me, quote all day. It means nothing. But I leave you with go get it. Let your life be transformed by God. Let you become who you always knew just in the back of your head you may be. And then it's going to be even bigger than that. Self-surrender. That's all that's required. That's all that's required. I beg you guys to get it. I beg you to get it because it's so worth it.